the following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hey, hey, everybody, you know me. My name is Eugene, and you're watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Hi, everybody. This is former WWE superstar Al Snow. And My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Now get on the train. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network in conjunction with Blue Wire Hustle. I am your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is so great to be with you once again, and I'm very excited here today because I have the opportunity to talk to a guy who I consider a, a legend in the sport of professional wrestling, especially in Ohio Valley Wrestling, especially in the WWE. He has done so many things, and I can't wait to dig deep into it it is the one and only nick eugene dinsmore how are you my friend i'm doing fantastic how are you i'm good bro really good i'm uh, really excited to talk to you today um after having uh, such a great conversation with doug basham a few months ago um you know he i just asked him at the end do you have anyone that you know that maybe we might be able to get on the show and he named you and i'm like count me in bro so this is going to be fun cool. Uh, so, Nick, uh, first question, as we usually ask everyone, is when you were a young man, how did you become a wrestling fan? The first time I saw professional wrestling was probably 1983, 1984. Looking back now, it was after WrestleMania 1. It was Saturday night's main event. Um, Piper and Orton had turned on Paul Orndorff in WrestleMania 1. Orndorff went after Piper on Saturday night's main event, following up WrestleMania 1. And I saw him chasing around the arena, under the bleachers, into the back hall, down the hallway. Piper locks himself into a, a, a locker room. Then Uncle Elmer came on. Uncle Elmer got married. And then Hulk Hogan <laughs> was on at the end. I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. This is it. I found it. So, <laughs> so you were... I, I, I was probably eight, eight, eight or nine, eight, seven, eight or nine, eight, eight, <laughs> I think. Cool, man. So you you were sold on the craziness immediately of uh, what was taking place. For me, absolutely. it was Survivor Series 1998. It was absolutely crazy, and it was just mind-blowing seeing everything take place. Um, so, okay, you're a fan as a young man. At what point do you think to yourself, this is what I want to do? Well, it was always in the back of my head. That's, the, the, that, that's what I want to do. But, you know, as we grow older, we get into high school and get into sports and, and many other things. And I sort of drifted away from watching it as religiously as I did before. But um, when I was a senior in high school, I was in the uh, homecoming court and uh, they introduced me coming into a big auditorium. All, all the students were in school that day and they said, well, he wants to be a WWE pro, WWF at the time, pro wrestler. And there was a girl that was a couple of years behind me. She came up to me. She goes, well, my dad's a pro wrestler and he's got a school in the town that we lived in. I was like, holy cow. And that was the Nightmare Danny Davis. And I went ah. and met him and eventually started training there at the Nightmare Danny Davis School of Wrestling. Ah, amazing, bro. I've heard nothing but just sterling reviews on uh, Nightmare Danny Davis and, and what he's done for so many people. And, and the results speak for itself as, as far as I'm concerned with Ohio Valley Wrestling in the future. Um, tell me a little bit about how that experience was training under Danny. Um, it was pretty cool. It was, like, it, was the, it, it was the end of the territory days. USWA still ran Louisville every Tuesday night. Um, and that was like, you know, the first goal was, was to wrestle for o OVW, wrestle for Danny, and then eventually make it to wrestle uh, uh, for the USWA. Um, and it was, it, it was tough, but I was an athlete, so I mean, it, wasn't, it wasn't too difficult. Some, some guys had a lot more trouble with it. Um, and I just picked it up pretty quickly. I started, my first match was about six months after I started training. And then uh, there wasn't a whole lot of, Indies back then. It was USWA. You were either affiliated or you're an outlaw. And there was a couple outlaw shows. And, and as USWA broke down, I wrestled for some guys in Central City, Kentucky. Um, but, you know, it was, it was the first big goal was to wrestle for USWA. And, and I got to wrestle for them in uh, April of 97. Right. That's cool, man. Um, and, you know, the, my next question is about OVW. And it's, it's such a special time in your career um, and a special place in wrestling history with all the talent that it produced. Uh, what was it about the OVW system that you feel worked so well? Um, I, I don't, it was, it was very good teachers. Danny was a great coach, great teacher. And then Rip Rogers was still wrestling at the time. He was still in ring. So I would wrestle Rip up to three times a week in front of a live audience. 
And that's really how you learn is being in the ring with someone that has more experience than, than you, that leads you how to, how to do it in front of a live audience. Um, and then when Cornette came on board, I mean, he was the one that started writing and he, you know, wrote for me perfectly. I was, I was top baby face of the territory for a long time. So it was, it was a good deal for me. <laughs> That's cool, man. Yeah, we had Rip Rogers on the show a few months ago. Uh, I, I had to call him on my computer via Skype to his phone. And when it showed up on his phone, it said that it was a spam call. So uh, he wasn't very happy about it. And when I finally called him back again and he answered, he said to me, um, you know, it, what's this spam risk shit on my phone? You know, mm -hmm. if you fuck me on this, I swear to God, I will find you and I'll cut your fucking dick off. And that was the start of a wonderful interview between he and I. So. <laughs> um, the Lords of the Ring with Rob Conway. You win 10 tag team titles there. Uh, Rob is someone who I haven't uh, had many people mention much about on the show. So here's an opportunity for you to at least tell everyone out there what your fondest memories are working side by side with Rob. Well, so I, like, I started training um, May of 96. And then Rob started maybe eight months later. And we were both similar age. You know, we were both athletic. We both like to work out. And not that the other guys were not athletes, but they weren't, you know, they weren't great athletes. It was just uh, guys from Southern Indiana and Louisville, Kentucky that wanted to be pro wrestlers. And, you know, we were all, we were all working as a locker room, but Rob and I had, um, we had a lot of athletic ability, a lot of talent. And it was just, it seemed like the right thing to do to push together as a tag team. So we wrestled, I wrestled him probably more with him or against him more than anybody else in my career. Phenomenal. Probably him and Doug Basham, absolutely the number one, tied for number one in, in the best matches I've had. Yeah, awesome, bro. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of some of that early OVW stuff on YouTube and uh, unbelievable stuff. Um, WCW is uh, one thing that I was really interested to ask you about. Uh, and I want to know, how did the opportunity come about to work a few TVs um, with WCW back in the 90s? So I did the very first Brian Pillman Memorial Show. And that's the first time that I remember that WWE, WCW and ECW stars all were on the same show. Before then, I, I don't think that ever happened. And it was like, it was late 96, um, Austin was on it. I remember Jericho was on it. Um, Tammy, when she was doing, uh, Sunny, when she, when she was with the Road Warriors and had the Road Warrior gear, and yep, Candido cool. was there, Al Snow was there. So it was pretty cool. I was in the opening match, but uh, uh, Terry Taylor was there. And at the time he was working in the office for WCW. So he met me and he goes, well, I'm gonna call, you know, bring you into WCW. So, all right. So they ended up bringing me, uh, I did two shows to start off. It was in Terre Haute, Indiana, and then maybe Peoria, Illinois. And after that, I did maybe 13 shots altogether. You know, I think yeah. two nitros, three thunders, and a handful of Saturday nights. And, you know, looking back now, I should have made more contacts and got to know more people because what happened was is Terry got released. And he was the one that was wow. calling me in. And after yeah. that, like, I was still getting booked. I was on the booking sheet, but nobody was calling and telling me. Oh, shit. But it turned out well because Terry then got hired by WWE, and then I got signed uh, – for a developmental deal to wrestle at OVW, which I was already wrestling there anyway. So <laughs> yeah. I was under contract. So it, it all worked out. Oh, that's cool, man. Um, during your time there in WCW, you worked with Kaz Hayashi, Hoovy, Evan Courageous, uh, Canyon, Wrath, Horace Hogan, The Cat, Norman Smiley, Scott Steiner, Van Hammer, etc., etc. Do you have any stories on, on, on working in it with any of those guys? Any interesting situations that arose? I mean, not, not, not really. Like, uh, I, I was intimidated by Steiner because he was so big and it was a handicap match. It was me and Lenny Lane against Steiner. He's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to pick you up and slam you on top of him. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. And I took all his bumps and, and you know, it, it wasn't bad. But I remember that we, uh, we would do Nitro on Monday and then Saturday night was taped on Tuesday, Wednesday off, and then Thunder was live on Thursday. And uh, we're somewhere on, on the East Coast on a beach town and – I wrestled Wrath the week before, so yeah, you want to jump in the car with me? Sure. So, and it was Davy Boy Smith was in the car with us, and I was like a huge Bulldogs fan. So I was like, oh my god! And I was like, just, just marking out in the back seat, and then uh, we went to the hotel and we went to get something to eat. The heat. I went to the hotel, and then I, I walked next door to get something to eat, and he was sitting at a Denny's, like at the bar eating. And I sat by a booth by myself, and he ate, and he ate, and all the fans that were there were getting autographs for him. And he gets up and he goes, "I'll call you in ten minutes. We'll go to the gym." And I thought I was real cool then, like in front of all the fans, <laughs> he, he acknowledged me. So. <laughs> that's cool man um 
Another interesting situation that arose uh, when you were in OVW, obviously, is the buyout from WCW uh, by the WWF. Um, how was everybody in OVW feeling now that there was going to be this massive influx of WCW and even ECW talent coming through when you guys are in a, under developmental deals and you're trying to get on TV yourself? It must have been a, felt like a setback. Well, it, it was, but at the time, OVW was a developmental territory. There was one in LA also, and I don't know how long that lasted. And there was one in Puerto Rico. And then at some point, Les Thatcher in Cincinnati got one. So there's actually four territories. And I mean, we were all, you know, trying to get a spot and, and, and get in there. But the way I looked at it, like, I felt that I was a part of OVW that got signed because I was making far less than anybody else, all the, the talent that WWE found and groomed. And I felt like it was my job to help groom these guys so I was wrestling with the first crop you know Batista and Brock Lesnar and Cena and Victoria Shelton Benjamin Rico Constantino that, that was like the first crew of people and I, I never really thought I would make it to TV I thought I was just a, a, a guy that you know got lucky and got signed and, and I was going to work at OVW which I was happy to do yeah um so I mean looking back yeah with all those WCW guys coming in uh it did set a lot of us back we probably could have been on air sooner but all the guys that were on WCW were the same guys that I was starting with in WCW when I did those shots for WCW. All right. Um, Lash LaRue and Elix Skipper. Um, Alan Funk and Dindrak and O'Hare. Yeah. Good crew of guys. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, so uh, 18th of October, 1999, you wrestle a dark match on WWF jacked against a guy by the name of Danny White. Uh, from my research, this was your first dark match in WWE. Uh, so how did that go? And what was kind of the feedback about Nick Dinsmore? Was that the first one? Hmm. I could I be wrong. Because I, I, I think it was Danny Basham. That's who it was, but, but they just called him Danny White, I think. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't know if that was my first one or not. The, the, the one I remember the most was the night after Owen died. Oh, we boy. were extras on Raw. And like, I was so excited and so happy to be there. And the locker room was just like, down. I mean, everybody's in tears and just like crushed. And uh, I had a dark match against Kurt Angle before he was on TV. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And, and it was really cool. And I went out there and you know, we had a good match. We had a fun match. And I climbed to the top and I just stopped and listened to all the people. And he hit me with Angle Slam. Um, the next night, SmackDown, actually, I think the next night was another Raw. I don't think SmackDown had started yet. They, they did a Raw on Tuesday. Right. And, yeah. uh, Raw wrestled Kurt Angle. And then I got to be uh, an Undertaker Druid. Remember when they, they had the cross, the big iron cross, and they put right. stone on? I, I was the one one of the druids that carried it out one time oh, when uh, Austin pulled off the Austin pulled off the druid mask and beat the hell out of everybody. So right, that's that's what I remember. Oh, that's incredible. Um, so I wanted to know about. Um, you know what was the the feedback backstage about you, and 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 why wasn't Nick Dinsmore brought in earlier? Was it because they didn't have an idea of what to do with you? Is this what led to Rip Rogers coming up with the idea for Eugene? Um, at the time, and it, it might, I don't, I don't think it's this way as much, but there was a disconnect between what was going on in the developmental system and what was going on in the headquarters of WWE. And for a writer to be able to write for a character, he has to get to know the person and they have to be able to portray the character that he can write for. And there was never really that opportunity to sit down with a writer because they never came down when I first got signed. Eventually, a couple of years in, they started coming down. Um, and it was, we would just go up and we would do our matches and I never got any bad feedback. It was just, oh, looks good, you know, keep, keep doing whatever. As, and it was just, it was just generic feedback. And I, I kept my mouth shut and my ears open and I was there on time and smiled on my face and shook everybody's hand. I do remember one time, a couple of years in, I, had a, I don't know who I wrestled, but uh, Jim Ross came up to me and he's like, you, you need more facials. You need to have more facials. You, you, you got like Dean Malenko wrestling. You're just right. no facials. So then that's when I just turned it all the way up and I just overdid the facials. <laughs> and I started doing it in, in training just to, to, to pop the guys in training and to entertain everybody that, that was, you know, that was in training or was on the live events, just, you know, just having fun. Again, I, I didn't think I'd ever be called up to TV. I thought I would just be a guy that would wrestle WWE's talent as they came in. And Cornette was writing me as top baby face. And, and, you know, I was fine with that. Um, but then I just started having, I, I eventually got so comfortable with the wrestling that I could do that in my sleep. And now I was just making over the top dramatic faces. 
And that was about the time that Rip came to me and gave me the idea about um, Rip's son has autism. And he's like, what about a wrestler that, uh, you know, isn't very social, but maybe can't tie his shoes, can't put a square peg in a square hole, has difficulty talking to people. But the minute he gets in the ring, he can do everything perfect because he's watched it his whole life. Yeah. And I thought well, that's pretty cool. So a couple months went by and the, the, uh, the like the agents would come down. Arn, Fit, Ricky Steamboat, um, Dean Malenko. And I, I think I pitched it to Arn. And Arn's like, no. Well, I pitched an idea of what about a character that, you know, just like I told you, can't tie his own shoes, has difficulty talking, but he does great. You know, and he did savant of wrestling. And Arn's like, I don't, I don't think we do that anymore. You know, WB's kind of gone past that. Okay. A couple months later, the writers came down. And I pitched it to the writers. And they're like, no, nah, you know, Vince wouldn't do that. That isn't something that WWE does. Okay. So I'd seen a lot of guys complain and then get called up. The squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? So I told Doug, I told Doug Basham, I said, I think I'm going to quit and try to go to Japan, which I was not, I had no intention of doing that, but I was, I was at home in a territory where we didn't travel very far, sleeping in my old bed every night, you know, working, working in class four days a week and maybe three shows, you know, I was doing pretty well, but this time I've been, I've been signed for five years. Doug told, I think, Dean Malenko, Dean told Johnny Ace. And next thing I know, I'm sitting in a meeting with Vince McMahon. Stephanie was there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Vince goes, I want to get back to character-based wrestling. So I just picked, I just blurted out the character, just like I told you. And he pretty much goes, great, we'll start on Monday. <laughs> really? Okay. So, but <laughs> Stone Cold was there, I remember. And I don't remember when it was. It was early in 2004, maybe February of 2004. And uh, I don't remember what Austin was doing, but Austin walks in and Vince goes, Steve, you ever seen this guy wrestle? He looks, no, I don't think I have. And I said, well, I was trained by Danny Davis. And I knew Danny, knew Steve Austin from wrestling in Dallas yeah, um, for Global. And, and he's like, oh, well, then he's probably one of the best. And it was like that vote of confidence that pushed me over the edge that then Vince said, okay, let's run with it. But I didn't think, I don't think they thought I could pull off the character. Right. They thought it would be a flop. And then, you know, because the, the, it, was, it was getting time where I was either going to have to be called up or, 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 or probably be released, you know, because it was like they didn't have a whole lot of money invested in me. But, yeah. you know, at, at a certain point, it's like, you know, he's either going to just be an OBW guy or we're going to release him or we're going to put him on TV. So the first time I wrestled as Eugene, I wrestled in St. Louis. It was uh, the same time as the NCAA Final Four basketball. So we wrestled in the afternoon in St. Louis and the NCAA was at night. And it was probably about six or 8,000 people in the crowd, good crowd. And I wrestled Lance Cade. And thank goodness I wrestled Lance Cade because he knew how to wrestle with a gimmick wrestler. And okay. I'd never been on TV. People had never seen Eugene. They didn't know who I was. And Lance beat the bejesus out of me. And by the end of it, I got beat. And the people are chanting Eugene's name. And I remember walking back through the curtain. And it was Hunter, Stephanie was there, Arn, Fit, all of them out of their chairs, giving me an ovation. And Arn's like, uh, uh, Triple H's like, you know, you, you embraced the character. You, you became the character. I think that's some things, some things maybe guys don't do now. They, they, they go out there and try to pretend to be a wrestler or pretend to be whatever gimmick they're supposed to be, as opposed to just all in being whatever it is. Yeah. But it's got to be something that you know and you understand. And I don't know where I, I drew the inspiration from other than I looked at the way like kids or even when I was a kid, how excited I would get for anything, for wrestling or for anything. And kids would get excited and they get scared, you know, and they get nervous. And I would just overdo those uh those facials and those, those pantomimes and because the, the wrestling was the easy part it was it was right. doing everything in between yeah right that's crazy um such a whirlwind all of a sudden you're on television with this character uh, when you're in the office uh, you know telling talk to Vince about the idea did he ask you to do 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 Eugene for him is usually no, not, not at that point but no? I think right before I, I debuted uh Johnny Ace had me dress in what I was going to dress in and go in and do it. And uh, I don't know. I mean, Eugene was intimidated by Vince. I'm intimidated by Vince. So that, that probably wasn't, you know, a home run right there. But, you know, looking back now, I probably could have made, you know, that little excursion better. But it worked out. Yeah. Um, so the debut happens. Uh, and I guess there's backlash from people who thought it was in bad taste when it was actually kind of like more empowering, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, how did you find that feedback from, from people? So like, I didn't get that feedback personally, 
but I, I did hear like like some on the radio or a little bit of the underground media is like, oh, what's the WWE doing now? Oh, they're making fun of this poor boy. Right. And when Eugene went out and I didn't wrestle till about six weeks on TV. And when I had my first match and I won, all that stopped because then everybody realized, oh, this is a story of, of, of you know, an underdog story of, of a boy achieving his dreams. And I've gotten way more positive affirmation from people as I've traveled around the world. You know, my younger brother has special needs and he said that he can do anything he wants to because Eugene did it. You know, my son, you know, he, he saw you and it changed his life. You know, I've really, I've gotten those a lot of places and it's, it's very, it's very it's humbling. It's just a good feeling. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, so Uncle Eric, you know, uh, when did you find out that uh, it was, the idea was that Eugene was going to be, Eric's nephew and you know how were your interactions with Eric when you would you know perform with him I think I think I found out that I was going to be with Regal and Bischoff was going to be my uncle the the, the time I debuted the, the, the day that I debuted I don't, I don't think they told me anything and uh it was great for me because it gave Eugene instant credibility yeah and then paired with Regal that was an additional layer of the odd couple and it was just it was written perfectly Brian Gerwick, Gerwick or Gerwitz, I can't even pronounce his name right. He was the head writer for Raw. He wrote a lot of the rock stuff. Yeah. Um, he knew how to write for Eugene. And the minute he saw Eugene, he said, I can write for this. And he's the one that wrote all that stuff. And each week they would give me a little bit and I hit a home run. And the next week they give me a little more and I kept doing well. So just people kept buying into it and it just it became a avalanche, you know, it was a, it was a really cool time. Yeah, that's cool, man. Uh, you know, one of the more incredible scenes, I suppose, was, uh, you know, the coach being uh, Eugene's first bully, um, you know, being in the ring with The Rock and, you know, the, the moment where you, you tell him Triple H is your favorite wrestler is just such an iconic and funny moment, uh, especially with The Rock. I mean, damn, you're, you're in the ring there with The Rock at this point. This must be mind-blowing for you. And, you know, the segment just went over so well. Yeah, we were in San Diego and... San Diego's on Pacific time. So if Raw goes live at nine, they're four hours behind. So we have to get to the building about 10 a.m. And I remember Sylvain Grenier was good friends with Pat Patterson and Pat was in the meeting. Pat told Sylvain this and Sylvain comes to me. They're going to have somebody come in with you today. It's either going to be The Rock or it's going to be Rhino. And no knock against Rhino, but he's no rock. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, he, he's, they said Rock was in LA shooting a movie. He's going to try to come down here tonight. And I'm like, he's not going to make it. He's not going to be here. There's no <laughs> oh way. God. It's not going to happen. Lo and behold, he, he showed up, you know, he, I think, I don't know, about two o'clock or something. And he started going over his lines with uh, Brian Gerwick. And I think I had, I was on six segments that day, six out of 13 segments on Raw. And I would go and work on each segment. And then I'd run back and I'd go over the lines with them. And I had one line, I had one line, and I missed it every time in practice. I missed it every time in practice and we're out in the ring live on TV and the rocks doing all stuff, people in the palm of his hand. And he just walks past me, puts the mic down and goes, your line's next kid. And he goes, and I hit it perfectly. I and mean, he fed it right to me. It was, it was awesome. If it wasn't, it was that moment that made Eugene an over the top star. When my face was on TV and people saw me with the rock, I think it was 17 minutes. And, and coach even says that I was the loudest he's ever heard a crowd when, cause nobody knew the rock was going to be there. And his yeah. music hit. I mean, I was crying <laughs> coming back. Eugene was crying. I was literally crying. And the rock commented, was, it was awesome, man. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah, man. Such a great moment. Uh, your pay-per-view debut is against Coach. Uh, that's an interesting first opponent to get on pay-per-view. So it must be a thrill for you to be in your first pay-per-view match. Uh, how, did you, how did you feel it was working with the coach? He was such a, a good, uh, you know, villain for Eugene to battle. Like, like Coach worked hard. He, he had... He had Zero, I mean, maybe a little bit of professional wrestling experience since being in the WWE, but not not a whole lot. Yeah. And he's a very good athlete, but he was, I, I don't know, just the transition to, to pro wrestling sometimes is difficult. And he, he you know, we, we try to have a good match, and I thought we really did. Yeah, I think he did quite well, to be honest with you, for someone that... Yeah, he, he was a good bully. He, he, came to, uh, he came to Sioux Falls, where I live, and, and wrestled me in my own promotion two years ago. <laughs> really? That's fantastic. Yeah, busted me open. Got cut. <laughs> Busting me open. I was bleeding. <laughs> Coach coming for revenge all these years later. That's brilliant. Um, so how was the locker room receiving you and the character at the time? You know, would it be a, a sellout at the, at the monitor when you're in the ring and, or, or doing anything? Yeah, it was, it was one of the things that like when Eugene would do something and then everybody would start imitating it throughout the day or everybody wanted the T-shirt. And whenever there's something good on, on Raw, whenever something good... I'll, all the locker room, you know, they want the t-shirt and, and it's just, it's, it's really refreshing to see somebody, you know, get that push and, and get elevated like that. 
and all the guys that were in the locker room were all guys that I knew that I trained in OVW. Right. You know, cool. Randy was there, Batista was there. I mean, it was it was all the guys that I had known for a while. So it really wasn't like like I think sometimes what guys would go to the locker room and all of a sudden it's a whole group of people that they don't really know. And then it can become intimidating. But by the time I made it there, all the other guys were there. So it was like I just fit right in. That's cool, man. Um you work with and defeat Ric Flair at a house show in Toledo, Ohio, seven days before working with Triple H at SummerSlam. Please tell me, what was it like working with Ric Flair? Oh, Rick was awesome. He paid me probably one of the, the best compliments I've ever been paid after the match. He goes, I didn't know you knew how to work. <laughs> and, and by that, like, he goes, I hit you and you stay down until I come and get you. Everybody else gets up and he goes, I got to hit you again. You, you stay down. It was like, he was really impressed, but I mean, that's, that's the way I was taught. And that's, you know, make the most out of everything. You know, if somebody hits me, I'm going to act like it hurts. Because most of the time, people really hit me. You know, <laughs> I, I don't want to come. I don't want to. If, if I get up, I get another one. I know that. So I'm going to stay down. But it was awesome to work with Rick. I mean, he was at, had the crowd in the palm of his hand doing all this stuff. I got to put his robe on <laughs> in the pay-per-view where I tagged with him. I, I got to put on his robe. So it was, it was pretty cool. Good times. <laughs> Uh, so how surreal was it to finally be in a, you know, a big time match at SummerSlam against somebody like Triple H? It was, it was awesome, except that's when the crowd turned on Eugene. Like, like we were in uh, Toronto and they just totally just, oh, just, right. just oh, they just, it was like, uh, what, what, what Lawler used to say, it was like bizarro land, right? Cause they yeah. cheer for all the heels and boot the baby faces. <laughs> and that's the way it was. And it was like, I was in the position where I was following and I just went with what I was told. And, and I feel like I, I did well, we, we did what we were, you know, I, I did what was wanted of me, but it was, it was, it was challenging because the crowd like, yeah, I can imagine. They want to see be. Eugene. They want to see Eugene get beat up. <laughs> That's just, it's just the craziest thing that they would actually turn on Eugene. Um, so, and it would have been very difficult to uh, continue working that match in the manner, I guess you two had uh, uh, organized with one another, but um Soon after this, you win the tag team titles with William Regal. So this is a pretty big moment in your career, uh, especially with someone like uh, Regal, who's just an all-time legend. How did it feel to achieve that? I was pretty cool. Like, when I started on the road, he said, won't you ride with me? And then uh, Tajiri was in the locker room, so it was Regal and Tajiri and I. And it was like Barnum Bailey Circus, the three of us. I mean, it was constant comedy and, and just laughing. It was just, it was a really good time. And I remember you know, winning the title. We were in Indianapolis, Indiana. My mom was in the crowd. My sister was in the crowd. Um, and it was, it, was, it was a really good feeling. We'd wrestled a couple weeks before in England. And that's when Regal and I won the tie, tag titles in England. And the roof blew off the place. They went to commercial and they came back. And Bischoff had restarted the match. And then we got beat. And it was like, oh, it was like wrong kind of heat there. I mean, the people were upset that, yeah. that, that the Regal got beat. But it was... It was, it was constantly like being able to ride with him and, and pick his brain and sit on the learning yeah. tree and bounce ideas off of him. And as a performer, he's probably one of the best. And he would just like, like when Eugene would do the airplane, he goes, he told me, he goes, run around like you got an airplane. And just, I just did it and do a roll, do this. And he would just tell me what to do. And he was a perfect, like, opposite to Eugene for the odd couple. Absolutely. Yeah. He always did that so well. Uh, and I, I really think it's an important thing. I don't know, you know, what's going on with, you know, in today's wrestling, but I think it would be a really good idea to implement uh, paying for some of the legends to go on the road, you know, cause talking in the car with those guys is where you learn a lot of things. Um, I know I remember uh, hearing about, you know, D'Lo Brown and the rock, you know, riding with Ron Simmons and getting that knowledge from him. I think that's something that might be kind of missing today. Um, and it might help, you know, people learn, uh, you know what they got to do and 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 all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah must have been invaluable. I think there was a big separation with like the guys like Austin Rock, Undertaker, Kurt Angle, and then when the next crew of guys came in, it was like it, that, that's when the developmental guys started filtering in, and it was yeah. kind of a different system. And you know, we didn't get to associate a whole lot with them. We didn't have the time, and it was just. Uh, yeah, you're right. It, it would have been better. It'd be better now. I think you know to to have that have that uh, knowledge passed on. Absolutely. Um, here's another one that I find interesting. How difficult was it to stay in character so much in public? I'm assuming anytime you're in public, you got to be in, in character. Uh, if it was me, I think I would have a hard time certainly trying to do that. So how was that for you? 
it was actually pretty easy because the whole time I was just trying to make Regal crack. <laughs> I was just trying to, because I, I was with him all the time. And I remember we were, we were with, we were at a, a meeting. We had whoever the, the company sent. It was, it was a, a woman. I remember that they had sent and we're walking into the building and Regal is now, Eugene, what have I told you? If you're going into a building with a lady and there was like a plant potted, like walking into this building. So I uprooted the whole plant and I go to give it to her as I open the door. And she's like, <laughs> he's, just, he's trying not to laugh. That's why I just did the whole time. I just, I just try to make him laugh. <laughs> we, I, I would usually drive. So it, we'd come into the parking lot and all the fans would be there before the show. And I'd start zigzagging around and pull into the parking spot and he'd get out like he's having a heart attack. And I'd get out and go, I just got my permit. I just got my permit. And I'd run inside. <laughs> That's great stuff, man. Awesome. I'm glad. Uh, Okay, so you'd mentioned working with Kurt Ang before, which obviously would have been an incredible experience for a dark match, but now you start to get to feud with Kurt. Uh, you know, how did you feel about that run? And do you have any stories on working with Kurt Angle? Yeah, it was actually, they, they were grooming Kurt to wrestle Cena for the title. And they wanted Kurt to get become a vicious heel. And Kurt was like, well, I couldn't get any more heat than beating up Eugene. So he went to wrestle me. He picked me out of the whole roster, which was, wow. I thought was really cool. And, uh, but he had ideas. He wanted to do like a lot of comedy and, and the ideas he had were, were really great. He wanted to do it. That's where he was going into wearing the mouthpiece. Yeah. And he wanted to do something where, where like he, he, he like he breaks his teeth or something and he has to get his teeth wired and he's got the mouthpiece. Eugene wins the gold medal. And we come into, we fly into the town the next Monday and we're in the airport. It's got one guy's holding a sign that says, gold medalist Kurt Angle and then one guy's holding a sign says Eugene and here comes Eugene with a gold medal you must be the gold medalist get in the limo take off and here comes <laughs> Kurt with the mouthpiece and he's like yelling and screaming and he can't say anything you must be Eugene so put the helmet and put him in the short bus and take him take him but uh I guess Vince didn't want that much comedy they wanted uh, Kurt to get some serious heat so right. Kurt just ended up beating the shit out of me for three weeks <laughs> that's such a shame because that would have been hilarious man that's a great idea um so, uh, you know, you have your blow-off match with Kurt, um, but after this, it seemed like Eugene wasn't getting much of that push as a character on, on TV that you had done beforehand. Do you know why that is? I'm trying to remember. I don't, I, I don't remember exactly. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, like, they would filter somebody in and filter them out. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I went to SmackDown there before I got released, and uh, they were going to put – there was an idea to put me with Bob Holly. Again, right. as an odd couple type thing, Bob being being very serious and angry all the time, and Eugene just goofing off, but uh, it, it never materialized. And well, that would have been pretty cool too. We had Bob I, on the show, and yeah, he's. I, I think that's when they put me with Christy Hemi, and she was like a cheerleader, and it just it, it didn't it didn't mesh very well. I, I don't know. It wasn't. Uh, I don't know. It just feels like maybe they just weren't really sure where to go next, and you know there was a heel turn on Jim Duggan, and then it was kind of abandoned. What what was what was the go there? Um, like they put me with, with, with Hacksaw, which I thought was great. And again, Hacksaw paid me a great compliment because, uh, Umaga was beating up everybody and I knew, I knew Jim was limited. He was, he was, he, he's, he's an older gentleman now, but he was older then. And I knew yeah. he, he couldn't take everything. So I would take all the stuff that Umaga could give and I would have Umaga give Jim everything I knew he could take, kick him in the face and he can fall down and do the, the ass in the corner and all that kind of stuff. I knew Jim could take that. And he pulled me aside one day. He goes, he goes, I really appreciate you. I, I noticed that you're doing that. I really appreciate it. Cause uh, he goes, when I was breaking in, we just let the old guys, you know, make a fool of themselves. So, so, so they, so, so they're out and we get their spot. Right. But I was, I, I, I Hexel had an idea where he, uh, he wanted to have a match on mania where we win the tag titles. And that would be the longest, like from the first time he was at WrestleMania, I don't, his last uh -huh. WrestleMania to this one would have been like the longest stretch going. And he never had a title. WWE never had a title. Right, yeah. And uh, he thought it would have been a good story, but then they wanted to turn me heel. And I don't know if it was my inability or my desire that I really didn't want to be a heel because it just didn't, it, it didn't come across well. But plus, you know, I love Hacksaw, but if I would have turned on somebody that the fans really cared about, if I'd have turned on Shawn Michaels, I would have had a lot of heat. But I turned on Hacksaw, and I mean, Hacksaw is great, but it, it didn't get the kind of heat that. You know, that I felt like I would have needed to overcome the how over Eugene was as a babyface. I feel like people wanted to see Eugene as a babyface. It was, it was yeah. At the time, there was there was no kids characters. Hex, uh, uh, a hurricane was a kids character, but he was on SmackDown, and Eugene was the only kids character. So, like you know, that that, that was my you know dynamic right there. 
Right. I, I remember when like I, I was watching all this on TV and me and my friends would talk about it or whatever. We always thought if there was ever a heel turn, Eugene might tell the world that he's uh, he was faking it the whole time to get on television or something like that. Was there any, ever any serious discussions to do something like that? When I think about it, I mean, there's no going back from there because that's like probably one of the most horrible things anyone, even if it's just a character, could ever do. So was there ever any discussions about that? Some people had said that, but Vince didn't want to do it because he felt like that would jeopardize any gimmick going forward. Yeah. You know, much like when, when Festus was out, you know, if, if all of a sudden Festus comes out and goes, what if he's doing the same thing Eugene did? Eugene wasn't even, you know, he, he came out of it. L- looking back now, I think if uh, if Eugene would have had multiple personality disorder. Yeah, right. That would have been a way to get out of it. But I didn't think of it then. Yeah, no, fair but enough. Again, but again, I, I wanted to be Eugene because Eugene had a lot of merchandise. Yeah, of course. You know the best part about having your own action figure? What's that? You get to play with yourself in public. <laughs> and I was also Doink the Clown two times. That's right, yeah. You did a good job, actually. I think Doink the, I think Doink the Clown should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And this character has been on for over 20 years. He's always over, instantly recognizable. The fans love him. And I think seven or eight guys have played Doink on WWE over the past 25 years. And I think they all should be, and I'm one of them, inducted in the Hall of Fame for Doink. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Um, what a great character that was, especially the initial character when he was a heel. I loved that stuff. Um, so what happened when you were released in 2007 and why? Um, I injured my knee before I wrestled Kurt in, in, at SummerSlam. The, I injured in July, uh, January and I wrestled Kurt. SummerSlam was in I don't know, July or August, whatever it was in. And normally, Torn Patella takes nine months, 10 months of rehab. And the doctor cleared me after six months. And when I'll go back and watch those matches that I had with Kurt, I was nowhere near ready to be released to wrestle. I couldn't run. I couldn't pivot. You know, I, I was still walking with a limp. I mean, just, I, I wasn't ready. But I tried to force myself through it and uh, used a lot of medication to do it. And one faithful night in England, I took a little bit too many of this and too many of that and had a couple beers and passed out in the all lobby right. of a hotel with my underwear with all the fans and Triple H. Oh, my gosh. So, okay. Got sent wow. on a little uh, mandatory vacation, and I came back. Um, and then uh, the WWE doctor said, you can go ahead and keep taking that stuff. Just don't take the somas, because the somas were the, are the drug that killed everybody, well, most of the wrestlers, because it's a muscle relaxer. It suppresses your breathing. But this was back in a time when doctors were really opiating. I think that's the word I want to use, the public. And that's when it was, it was a mass flood of, of opiates that they pushed on people. And they were writing them, you know, like they were candy. So yeah. it, was, it was just, and I feel like if the doctor said you, you could do it, and the WWE doctor said, here, yeah, you could take those. And uh, then I ended up getting popped on a drug test and got released. Right. So it was, it was more of an accident than anything that you just, one night you just had a few too many and, mixing that with alcohol with the well i i got i ordered food up to the room and i had a tray and i was trying to set the tray out in the hallway and the door shut behind me i didn't have my key all right so then oh, I, was, I was gonna go down to the lobby and just i didn't i, I didn't make it oh man that sucks um how did it come about to return to ovw in 2008 and how did it feel being back home i'm sure the ovw diehards were happy to have you back well right before i got released i had moved back to louisville because they were going to put me as a coach in OVW and then uh, I got released, but you know, I, I still went to wrestle when I was wrestling independence. After I got released, I was wrestling more on the independent circuit than I was when I was under contract with OVW and I was wrestling every weekend. And uh, I just went back and, and I wanted to be involved, you know, with, with OVW and with Danny. And I started again before I made it to TV, I was teaching a the beginner's class at OVW and I wanted to go back and start teaching that class again, which I did. And, uh, you know, just, just jumped right back in. Yeah. Um, one thing I found was interesting, and I remember this, uh, in 2009, you were brought back and you had one match with the, with the Miz for a contract only to lose and then be released again four days later. Uh, what, what happened there? Um, they wanted to bring Eugene back. They, they, I, when they came to Louisville, I went over and they saw me and they wanted me to, the term was to be a carpenter, which is 
more experienced guy that might not be on TV. He might be on TV, but wrestles all the live events with the up and coming wrestlers and kind of grooms them. All right. So then uh, I got signed. I was, I was under contract for a couple of weeks and then uh, I went to a TV and I wasn't in the type shape that they thought I should be in. I didn't think Eugene needed to be a bodybuilder, but I, I guess Vince was not pleased with it. So the next week out of nowhere, they called me, Hey, you come to Canada. I was like, Oh, I know what this means. Uh-huh. So, Shit. Um, what means most to you about your, your run in WWE? Um, I, I guess it was just achieving that boyhood dream of wrestling for the WWE. You know, it was like, uh, I feel like a lot of people have those kinds of dreams, but they never, they never see it through or never get opportunities or maybe are never good enough. And I don't necessarily think I was the best wrestler ever, the best athlete, but I found a niche and I did well. Um, and what means most to you about OVW? I, I don't know. There's a lot of fond memories. I mean, I look at Danny Davis like a father figure, and, and the time in OVW was, like, very special. I was learning. I was experiencing. I, I was just getting my feet wet, and uh, it, it was a good atmosphere to do it in. I guess back in, the, back in the days, they used to just try to run off people, try to take their money and run them off, but Danny wanted to train guys, especially guys that had some bit of talent. And uh, Cornette pushed for us to get signed, and, and, and Rip really wanted to see us all learn. So it was uh, just a you know culmination of good people looking out for me. Yeah, man, cool. Uh, so this is a strange question, but I thought maybe it might be an interesting one. What has Nick Dinsmore learned the most from Eugene? Um, just take it one day at a time, you know, just be in a good mood. Treasure every moment. Do you think Eugene will ever make a surprise appearance in WWE again, maybe in a Royal Rumble or something like that? I don't know. It's going to be a grassroots operation that people call for it. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, they've brought back almost every legend that they can put in the ring. So. Yeah, I'm still uh, waiting for those surprise Rumble, uh, you know, returns for Kennedy and, uh, you know, Chris Masters and Eugene, I think, you know, those are ones that you can bring in. I don't think they needed to have Hurricane in again. He was only, a, you know, there a few years prior. We needed to have some more. Yeah, but he, yeah. he's in the agent or coach or I think so, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. an agent there. Um, yeah, because I, I was a coach. They signed me to be a coach in 2013. Yes. And I was a coach in the first group of, uh, that went to the Performance Center. Right. When they moved from FCW and in Tampa to Orlando in the performance center, I was the first group of coaches in there. So I was a coach for about two years. Right. How did you find the uh, performance center? I mean, it looks amazing. Oh, it's phenomenal. I think uh, Triple H went to the New York Giants uh, training facility and, and kind of got a look at their training facility and, and what they do to get their athletes ready. And he goes, okay, this is what I want. And they found the building and it's got a you know, huge gym and it's got a, a ring area with all these different rings and one ring that you can do all kinds of high flying stuff in it's real soft and then it's got all the videos you can pull up any video you want plus it's got all the coaches that are there that have x amount of knowledge over so many years i mean it's like there's no reason that somebody coming into that performance center shouldn't come out a star yeah they've got got every resource that you could think of uh before we get to our final few questions, uh, I want to ask you if, uh, you know, you were a victim of or somebody that pulled one, uh, uh, any sort of rib stories. Well, I always tell the guys, I, I don't rib and I don't like to be ribbed. And uh, I, I think people like me, so they never really ribbed me, but I would never rib somebody that I didn't like. And uh, I love Lance Cade, but I, I, would, I, would, I, I would put ice in his cowboy hat, put toilet paper in his cowboy hat. I found a toilet seat that was off the toilet. I put that in his bag one day. Uh, Matt Stryker, uh, I found a lock. I got a lock somewhere. So I, I locked his bag up on a chain to a, a locker. And I see him see it. And, and he was new, so he didn't want to say anything. So he walks out of the locker room. And I guess he went and found the janitor. And he comes back with these big bolt cutters. But by that time, I'd taken the lock off. So then he kind of looks around. He goes to take the bolt cutters back to the janitor. He comes back. I locked it up again. <laughs> stuff man uh and again another random one road stories uh you're traveling quite a lot have you ever had any near misses any scary moments traveling down the road several you know several um when regal like i said it was regal and tajiri and myself riding together and we were pretty tame when then regal went to smackdown and cena came to raw so then i would ride with it was tajiri and cena and i would ride together and uh 
Cena was out trying to be Ric Flair every night, and I was normally the one driving. And we were in Tennessee, which they, they sell fireworks, all, the biggest fireworks you can think of in Tennessee. So we had all these fireworks that you can shoot. And we're driving out at 2 o'clock in the morning down, you know, down the road shooting fireworks. So it's a, it's a wonder we didn't get pulled over. I mean, it was <laughs> um, some, some exciting times. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, has anyone, uh, you know, over the course of your career, you wish you could have worked with that you never got the chance to? Mm. Other than like, I never got to meet the Macho Man. As the one guy, and, and you know, I, I met his brother Lanny, and I, I spent a lot of time with Lanny. I talked to Lanny. I'm friends with Lanny, but I never got to meet the Macho Man. Um, you know, I, I worked with almost everybody. You know, I, I don't know who. Yeah. Uh, do you have any regrets from your time in the wrestling business? Mm, I mean, some, but not too many. Uh, is there anything that you would like to plug for anyone out there wondering what's going on with Nick Dinsmore, aka Eugene, today? Yeah, Eugene's got a Twitter. It's at the letter U G E N E. Then my last name is Dinsmore, D I N S M O R E, at Eugene Dinsmore. And I started my own wrestling company in 2015. My wife is from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, we started Midwest All Pro Wrestling. So their Twitter handle is at Midwest All Pro. Um, Facebook is Midwest All Pro. But what I really like is, is I, I do uh, Nick Dinsmore YouTube channel and the Midwest All Pro YouTube channel, which, which I really enjoy. The, the YouTube probably as the best social media platform. Um, I record up the matches from the guy. I've got about 25 students right now, and they're the stars of Midwest All Pro. I basically took uh, what Danny Davis did in OVW and made my own. And, uh, you know, we've been, we just had our five year anniversary um, in November. I'm just, uh, you know, we, we do monthly shows in Sioux Falls and around the Midwest, just building the territory. That's awesome, bro. Congratulations on your success with that. That's really awesome to hear. Um, it, you know, this is what the wrestling business needs is people with knowledge like you being able to pass it on and help that next generation uh, get out there and, and, and be just as good as the guys from the past. Um, so, Nick, uh, our final segment is called Five Second Frenzy. It's 10 quick fire questions. There's a few about wrestling, but it's about, it's, it's more about to get to know the things that you like in life. So, here we go. Nick Dinsmore, Eugene, Five Second Frenzy, your favorite wrestler? Um, probably the British Bulldogs growing up. That's what I really liked. Dynamite Kid. When I saw Dynamite Kid, I thought he was the coolest. And then when I saw Dynamite Kid against Tiger Mask in Japan, <laughs> that, that blew my mind. I thought that was yeah. one of the best matches I've ever seen. Yeah, cool, man. Uh, your favorite opponent that you've had? Mm, like I said, Rob Conway and uh, Doug Basham are definitely two of them. I have a lot of fond memories wrestling against Rip Rogers because he really taught me, took, took me by the hand and taught me. And it was very similar when I wrestled Ric Flair or Triple H. You know, they permitted the exact same thing. And it was just uh, very easy and, and, you know, good matches. Cool, man. Um, the favorite match you've ever had? If you could pick one. Oh, man. It's tough to tell. I mean, I was in the ring with The Rock. I was in the ring with Hulk Hogan. I was <laughs> tag team champion. I even pinned Vince McMahon. <laughs> but I think I know the moment The moment in my career that I, I look back on the best, the moment in my career was the day that I met my wife. Awesome, bro. Got to give the shout out to the woman. Um, favorite book? I would read a lot of uh, wrestling biographies and I never really liked the WWE ones because I felt like they were like watered down and like fan yeah. fan friendly, but uh, Terry Funk and again, Dynamite Kid, those were two of the books that I would read over and over again and, and really enjoyed. Ter Terry Funk had a great book, has a great book. Awesome. I have to check that one out. Um, favorite TV show? Man, I, I like watching documentaries. I watch the History Channel. I, I watch, I watch old wrestling shows on YouTube, like USWA or, or like old NWA or WCW, but you give me a conspiracy theory, you know, podcast or a conspiracy <laughs> theory documentary. I'm all in. <laughs> yep. Cool, man. Uh, favorite film. Mm, I don't know, man. It's been a long time since I've been able to sit down and, and sit through a whole film. Um, you know, what? Uh, we're talking about Brian Gerwitz wrote all that for, for the rock wrote, wrote for Eugene. He wrote a movie for Eugene. Really? And they told me like right before I got released, soon before I got released, one right before, but it was a couple months before that we were going to, you know, go into production on this. I'm like, oh my gosh. Ah. And I got released. So then that movie they gave to Big Show, that was the movie Knucklehead. 
Really? Oh my god! I was, I was I'm pretty sure because I, I haven't seen the whole movie, but for what I've seen, that's what the, he kind of told me. Like a, a boy who was trying to get into wrestling and, and couldn't, you know, he's orphan and couldn't really, you know, wasn't really social and just kind of an outcast. And yeah, that was the movie that was written for Eugene. Wow. Well, you know, awesome, man. Uh, your favorite musical artist? Mm, man, I don't know, man. I got, I got a lot of people on my iTunes. Everything from the Beatles to uh, Van Halen to Van Hagar. <laughs> yeah. I like a lot of them. Yeah, that's, that's some of my shit. Even too. Nirvana. Yeah, cool, bro. Uh, favorite food? Um, man, again, I'm, I'm easy to please. I like breakfast food. I like pancakes. I like steak. I like pizza. Nice. Uh, favorite place to eat on the road? We would always go to like a an IHOP or a Cracker Barrel or Denny's or someplace like that. Sometimes we would go to like a, a steakhouse. It just kind of depends on what was nearest. Yeah, Waffle House. That's what yep, Waffle one. House. Uh, your favorite alcoholic beverage? I used to drink beer, but I haven't drank beer in a while, but I drink Merlot, red wine. Nice. Merlot. I'm on a cab Merlot tonight, so uh, it's a bit cold here. Believe it or not, in Australia, it's cold tonight. Um, second last one, a bit more of a naughty one, Nick. It's your favorite female body part. Ears. And the final one, Nick, is uh, your favorite curse word. Eugene doesn't curse. <laughs> cool, bro. Well, um, I want to thank you so much for your time tonight. Uh, really appreciate it, man. And uh, you should be so proud of what you've done in the wrestling business and what you've done for people. And, you know, you're still continuing that legacy today, helping people. Uh, so I just want you to know from the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia, you have someone in me that appreciates you. Well, thank you. You know, I've, I've been all over Australia. I wrestled in Perth. I wrestled in Adelaide, I wrestled in Melbourne, I wrestled in Bendigo. I've been all over the place. <laughs> I'd love to come back. Yeah, man. Hopefully when all this COVID stuff's over, you can come back here and uh, we can be entertained by you again. Absolutely. Thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you again for your time, sir. Really appreciate it. And thank you everyone out there for watching the show here, the insider's edge on the WZWA network in conjunction with blue wire hustle here with my friend, Nick Eugene Dinsmore, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you.